Well, good morning. Here we are this morning at the last chapter of Habakkuk. It's been a journey that the Lord has taken us on. As we, and, and as I hope you have found, even though Habakkuk is this small little book in the Old Testament, only three chapters long, there's a ton of truth and application that we have been able to discover and find in it. The first two chapters we, we've found that have been a back-and-forth conversation between Habakkuk and God. The conversation, to sum it up, goes a little bit like this. Habakkuk complains to God. God responds. Habakkuk complains again to God. God responds again. And then we get to chapter 3. And we're going to see, as we go through chapter 3, that the conversation of complaints and responses has led to something changed inside of Habakkuk. Something's different as we read chapter 3, as Habakkuk, uh, as we read on here in chapter 3. There's something that has changed about him. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning. So I hope you have your Bibles, and hopefully that's been enough of time for you to find Habakkuk. If you don't have your own Bibles, there's some in the chairs. I encourage you to follow along to Habakkuk chapter 3. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. You can read along in yours. But before we do, let, let us pray and seek the Lord to reveal his word to us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that your word never returns void. We thank you that even though we've been studying this Old Testament prophet many, 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 many years ago, Lord, that your word is living and active, that your word, all of scripture, is God-breathed and profitable for us today. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for leading us. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be able to encounter you afresh this morning through your word, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word to us. Give us eyes to see you, Lord. We, we invite you to, to lead this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. 
Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers and your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear in my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Word of the Lord. Now you might be going, wow, that's a lot to uncover and I'm hungry, <laughs> or I'm going to be by the end of the, end of the message. We're going to take a little bit of a, a different approach than what I typically do. We're going to start out uh, kind of verse by verse, but just go with me here. It's a little bit different this morning. Let's start in verse 1 where it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. This word for prayer in Hebrew is tephilah, which most commonly was used specifically for prayers of supplication. But it can also mean him as well in Hebrew. Now, we hear supplication all the time, and, and I'll admit when I read that, I was like, I, I kind of know what that means. I kind of know what supplication means, but I'm going to look it up just in case. And I'm glad I did, because I was not right. <laughs> supplication means asking or pleading for help with humility. And so this prayer that Habakkuk is offering in Hebrew has this posture of pleading or asking for help with humility. That's the kind of prayer that Habakkuk is offering to the Lord here. And then he says that it's according to Shigianoth. And you're going, who? Right? Because it's capital, so it's got to be to someone. Actually, it's not a who, but a what. Shigianoth only occurs twice in all of Scripture. Here, And one other time in Psalm 7, verse 1, 
which says a shigion, it's a different version of the word, but it's the same core word, a shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. This shigionoth literally translated from Hebrew means a wild, passionate song with rapid changes of rhythm. And it may refer to a style of psalm. Psalm 7, we see, is a, a lament psalm, a psalm of lament. And so some think that this uh, Shigianoth refers to lamenting, a, a song that laments. But the idea here is that through this prayer that Habakkuk is offering to the Lord, it's a prayer of pleading, asking for help, set to music, being sung to the Lord. The prayer that we see here in chapter 3 in its entirety is a song being lifted or meant to be lifted to the Lord. And as I, as I sat with this, I realized, well, this would be a brand new song to the people because Habakkuk's literally writing it. <laughs> brand new song. And... I, I know that music is hard sometimes. New music is hard. And I, I have a confession that, that I was going to wait till the end, but the Lord is moving, so we're going to share it right now. So as you know, a couple weeks ago, I went to West Virginia for district conference. I show up, sanctuary, has full drum set, keyboard, two electric guitars, an electric bass, uh, a an acoustic guitar, full entourage. And I walked in and I got excited. I'm like, yeah, all right. And it came time to sing, and the Lord wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me enjoy that. There was something in my soul that, that bothered me, and I could not join in in singing, even though I knew the songs I knew the lyrics of the song. I, I love the style of music that the songs were. They, were. they were newer songs and contemporary songs. And yet, I could not join in. And it took me two days wrestling with the Lord to say, Lord, what is, what is going on? Why, why is this so hard? And it was in that moment that I was convicted to the core that I was more excited about the style of the music than I was to worship God. I got excited about the style more than I was excited to worship God. And I have to confess that because I believe God gave me that experience because it's something I think a lot of us are wrestling with today in our worship service. And I just want to, I just want to be very clear we're here to worship the Lord, and we're trying to honor all generations with our music. And just like I could be prohibited from worshiping him because of a style, so can we. And I had to lay that at the foot of, of the cross and say, Lord, I am sorry that I was more excited about the band 
in the style than I was to just come and be at your feet. We see this entire chapter being a brand new song that Habakkuk is writing at when it was given to him in order to be a song to be sung to the Lord. Would have been brand new. So with that being said, let's, with, with that understanding, let's dive in a little bit deeper. Verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, depending on what translation you're reading from, this is going to be worded a little bit differently. The English Standard Version says, I have heard the report of you and your work. King James says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. The New American Standard, Lord, I have heard the report about you and I was afraid. Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. The New uh, International Version. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. All very similar flavorings. All very similar. But in the original language, the thing to note is that Habakkuk is revealing to us his deep understanding of Scripture. He says, I've heard of you. I have your word. I have the scriptures, and I know you through them. I've heard the stories from old. I've heard the report of you and your work. Not only has he heard of God, he's heard the stories of the work that God has done. He would have heard about the Exodus, God parting the seas. He would have heard all of these stories wonderful things that the Lord has done throughout time and history. And that's really what this is talking about here. Habakkuk is acknowledging, Lord, I have heard of you and all that you have done. In a nutshell, that's Pastor Chris' translation. There you go. The reality is, is that Habakkuk knew about God and he had heard the report of him and his deeds or his work. And this is important for us because we too have experiences of, in, in history of God. We have history through his word, but we also have a lifetime of, of stories that have been, of, of these God stories that we've heard, that we've experienced, that have been passed down to us throughout time. But it's important for us because we see that not only was Habakkuk a prophet, we see that he knew the scriptures, he knew the stories, he knew the history, and he knew them very well. And this is why some scholars believe that Habakkuk was not just a prophet, but also probably a priest in the temple service, like serving as a priest. He knew the history of God and his people along with the promises And this, I think, kind of helps us understand a little more fully why Habakkuk complains to God in the first place. Because what he knew, logically, didn't line up with what his experience was, as we've already unpacked. 
And so here in chapter 3, he confesses, Lord, I have heard your stories. I, have, I know you. I've heard the stories. And I fear. I know what you've done in the past. And he says, do it again. Revive it again. Revive those things again. Well, you might ask, well, how do you know that? How do you know that Habakkuk knew all of this? You know, all, knew God that well? Well, when we look at verses 3 to 16, it covers 13 verses. I'm going to give you a statistic here. In this prayer section of verses 3 to 16, scholars have identified 43 scripture references in these 13 verses. 43. 18 of them are psalms. 25 of these cross-references of scripture come from historical books such as Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Job, Judges, 1 Chronicles, 2 Kings, 2 Samuel, Micah, Nahum, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. And so as we were reading, maybe we're like, I think I've heard that before or something similar to that. Because in this prayer, Habakkuk is quoting scripture, which reveals his deep understanding of it. Does a statistic like that like blow you away? 43 references to Scripture in 13 verses worth? Like that just like blows, blows my mind. And as I sat with that and, and trying to unpack, okay, what, Lord, what, how do I approach this text this morning? Because going line by line, trying to unpack 43 references is daunting at best. And I think the, the approach that the Lord has led me to this morning is to kind of take more of like a, a zoomed out, all-encompassing, why would Habakkuk use this much scripture? And what is that revealing to us? And so I come to my first point, which is going to pop up here for you guys. I realize that there comes a time in every believer's journey where we must decide to step out by faith on what we believe in the Alliance, we call this the crisis moment of sanctification. It usually, it, it's usually a defining moment in our journey with Jesus where we are faced with a choice. Go ahead and bring that up for me, guys. Faced with a choice to jump into the deep end by faith or to continue in the shallow end. It's a desire to know Jesus more fully and what it looks like is moving from informational knowledge to relational knowledge through surrender to the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. See, Habakkuk knew God. He had an intellectual, uh, a informational knowledge about God. He knew the scriptures. He knew the stories. But up until this point, Habakkuk really didn't have a relational knowledge of God, of Yahweh. And we see through this 
by the time we get through the end here, you're going to see that this transformation begins to set in for Habakkuk. And that only comes through our surrender to the Holy Spirit. When we move from head knowledge to heart knowledge is another way of saying it. When we go from just knowing about God through like history as a textbook and moving, through, uh, moving from that kind of knowledge into relationship with him, where he becomes Lord and Master and not just Savior, where he becomes more than just someone we offer lofty prayers and hopes and desires to because he relates with us, right? And we see that here with Habakkuk through his prayer. And the reality is, is that every believer's journey has this walk, right? That's why we call it a walk of faith. Because it starts out with a simple decision. Well, simple for some. Uh, starts out simply as a surrendering decision. But it doesn't stop there. It's a journey we have with the Lord. And as we gain more informational knowledge generally what happens is it causes us to go, there's something that starts not lining up and we go, wait, 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 I'm missing something here. There's something more that I'm not, get, that I'm not getting because I'm reading this power that is available to me, but I'm not experiencing that. That fullness of the Holy Spirit. And there comes a time in our faith where we have to decide if we're going to take that step of faith, of trust and obedience, to dive into the deep end and move from information to relationship. And it only happens not through our efforts, not through our ability to try harder, but actually through our surrender to the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, He will transform us. So Habakkuk offers this 13-verse prayer from verses 3 to 16. And then he gets to verse 17. And he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And you might, at first glance, read this and go, well, Habakkuk's just talking about not having food to eat. And so you might interpret this section as Habakkuk saying, though I have no food to eat. But that's not, I mean, yes, that's, that's part of it. But if you lived in an agrarian society, it would change everything. Ask a farmer what happens 
when the fields don't produce. Ask a farmer what happens when the flock gets cut off from the fold and there's no herds in the stall. What impact does it have for that farmer? So yes, he, Habakkuk is recognizing and admitting that though there's no food, but there's a deeper underlying point here that this is talking about livelihood, the ability to provide for the family. It's about security, both financially and physically, right? Because to a farmer, the produce provides security, provides means to protect their family. The, the flock was, was uh, value financially, right? That's how in that time, that, that's how you were proved to be worthy, uh, or wealthy, excuse me, was by how much cattle you had. That was the sign of wealth and status, And so Habakkuk here, he says, though those things would all desert me. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk says that even if, remember what's happening, right? Because in in chapters 1 and 2, Habakkuk is saying, God, why aren't you doing something? Judah has fallen away from you, and they've turned into wickedness, and you're not doing anything about it. And then the Lord responds, lift up your eyes beyond Judah to the nations. I am already at work raising the Chaldeans to come in for judgment. Then Habakkuk goes, whoa, you're a just God. You're a holy God. You can't do that. The Chaldeans are evil, more evil than we are. We don't deserve such judgment. Which God responds and says, I have a plan, and there are already these condemnations coming to Babylon. Trust the plan, trust me. To where now Habakkuk is going, Come what may, Lord, whatever may come my way, whatever you may take away from me, the things that make me feel safe, the things that make me feel good, the things in my life that give me security. Even if you were to take all of those away, yet I will rejoice in you. We see a transformation take place in Habakkuk where in the first two chapters, he has this head knowledge about God. And he calls God out for inaction based on his head knowledge, right? And he, and he says, God, why aren't you doing something? What I've heard about you, what I know about you through your word, you should be doing something, and you're not. And it's not until we get to chapter 3, through this conversation that Habakkuk and, and the Lord have, where Habakkuk's eyes are open to a relationship with the Lord. And now everything makes sense to Habakkuk, and he finds himself able to say, Lord, whatever comes my way, in you I will rejoice. We see Habakkuk turn from a complainer filled with knowledge to a worshiper filled with trust. And it all happened because of a conversation, a back-and-forth interaction with Yahweh 
He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We see that Habakkuk's joy now comes from Yahweh, who is Habakkuk's salvation. Joy is not found in his work, his service, or his livelihood. Joy is not found in his security. Joy is not found in, his, uh, in uh, God's righteous judgment on the wicked. Joy is in Yahweh, his salvation. Specifically here, depending on what uh, translation you're using, oh, that's verse 19, we'll get there in just a second. Yahweh, my God, Yahweh Elohim, and then of my salvation is Yesha, which means deliverance, rescue, or salvation. So in verse 18 here where he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He says, I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy in Elohim of Yesha, my deliverance, my rescue, my salvation. Habakkuk is moving from hearing the old stories, having scriptures to inform him about God into an experience with God through this conversation, through relationship, and now understanding that not only is Yahweh Yahweh in his Elohim, Yahweh is also his Yesha, his deliverer, his rescuer, his savior. And he says, in that, in that alone, do I rejoice. Then we get to 19, and it says, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Some translations might have this worded a little bit different, but in the ESV here, God is all capitalized which is Yahweh. Oftentimes, in, at least in the English Standard Version, Yahweh is translated uh, capital L-O-R-D, all caps. Here, it's, it's translated as God, caps, capital G, capital O, capital D. And then it says, God, the Lord, lowercase, is my strength. God means Yahweh, Lord is Adonai, which means Lord, Master, Ruler, one with power and authority. And so Habakkuk is saying, Yahweh, you are the personal God, you are my personal God, and not only that, you are my Lord and Master. You are the one who has power and authority over me. Then he says, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This gets back to that security and confidence. He's acknowledging that I placed my confidence and my trust in the produce, in my ability to farm the land, in, in my ability. We, we've placed all of our trust and faith in that. You've taken, even though that goes away, I know I have secure footing and confidence in you. What picture came to mind, maybe not deer, but have you ever seen like mountain goats? 
like on a mountain that like is unscalable to human, like they're like standing on like itty bitty little juts of rocks and they're just standing there. That, that's the image that comes to mind here. And Habakkuk is like, you, you make my feet like that secure on footing that I would otherwise would not find or have the ability to find. It's talking about secure footing and confidence. This brings me up to my second point. When you decide to move from informational knowledge to relational knowledge through your surrender to the transformational power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to see that the things of this world grow dim. You begin to understand what truly matters is your intimacy with God himself, and therefore, whatever happens in this world, come what may, your joy is secure in God alone. It is in this place where God's people see the world and are grieved for the world, instead of being grieved by the world, that the church will ever begin to reach the world for Jesus. And it only comes from this transformation that takes place in knowing that our joy only comes from the Lord, not the things of this world. Church, we have a calling to go to the world, to take Jesus to the world. We're also commanded to love God and to love one another. We cannot do that if when we look at the world, we are grieved by it. Instead, the posture should be we are grieved for the world. There's a difference. We know we, our, our eternity is secure in Christ. We know what comes one day for us. Therefore, why would we let the world grieve us? Our hearts should be broken for the world that do not know him. And when we take that posture, when we take that posture, that's when the church can begin to reach the world for Jesus. And we know that when all the world has an opportunity to hear this gospel, we have faith that he's coming back again. He's our coming king, and he will return. But until that day happens, we have a mission. We have a commandment. We've been called as his church to love the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to unpack your word and that your Holy Spirit illuminates your word to us. Lord, I pray that as we sit with what you have revealed today, Lord, I I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would move in our hearts. That you would help us to see 
this world with your eyes. Lord, you love the nations. You loved them enough that you sent your son for them too. Lord, help us love like you do. Help us to not take offense at the things that this world says and does and and help us to, to understand what our place in this world is, what you call us to be as your church, as your bride. Help us to lay down these things that, that weigh us down, these, these things that we bring as complaints to you, Lord, when we, when we sense or believe that maybe you're not doing what you should be doing based on what we know from your word. And help us to lift our eyes to the work you are already doing. Help us to lay aside these biases these preconceived notions, and trust more fully in you. And Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, would you lead us in these days. It's in your name we pray. Amen.